Hey there, it's Story Most Queer listeners. It's Leah. Uh, no sponsor ad this week, but I wanted to let you know that we may have something really exciting to announce in maybe in a week or two. Uh, but we're gearing up on the Mischief Media side to create our very first Patreon. And just wanted to let you know so that when it does launch, you can go over almost immediately and check out the community we're building and see if maybe you want to join. Officially, this is your invitation. You are invited to join us once that link is live and we pass it on to you. And that's it. So, yeah, nothing too long at the beginning of the episode this week. Let's just go. Let's get into it. Enjoy. Today's story contains mention of a terminal illness. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to A Story Most Queer, where every week we bring you a new story about queer characters and lifestyles written by queer authors Narrated by queer voices. Pocket-sized queer stories for everyone. A Story Most Queer is brought to you by Mischief Media. This week's story is Shepherd, Written by Jeffrey Ricker. Read by Jordan Edwards. Joe and Ed never did figure out where the dog came from. Their summer house, nestled in rustling knee-high grass and surrounded by black locust trees, had no immediate neighbors, and the only road was their long and winding gravel driveway. Summer House made it sound grander than it was. It was a cabin that happened to have indoor plumbing and unreliable electricity. They kept a kerosene lantern just in case. There was no air conditioning, but it was still cooler than it was in the city, and the sea breeze made up for the primitive charm. Joe liked to leave the windows open so he could listen to the ocean's ever-present background hum somewhere out of sight. Joe leaned over the kitchen sink, hands bracing against the porcelain edge slippery with soap, and peered out the window. Ed, come look at this dog, he called. This was the first time. The fawn and black dog waded through the grass as if swimming through water, nose held just above the surface. He came from the direction of the woods, not the road, and paused at the white picket fence surrounding the property. After a moment, he nudged the gate with his snout and came into the yard. As Ed took up a spot to his left, Joe felt a chill rush over him, though the breeze coming through the window as the sun set was only mildly cool. Where do you think he came from? Ed asked. Joe wiped his hands on a dish towel. I didn't see him come up by the road. Ed leaned against the sink, the freckle showing on his arms as the sleeve of his t-shirt rode up a little. He always freckled in the summer. Pretty, isn't he? As Joe reached for the doorknob, Ed came up behind him and covered Joe's hand with his. Let me go first. For a moment, Joe let Ed's hand remain there, enjoying the warm feeling that spread through his chest at the contact. Then, as if remembering to be irritated, he withdrew his hand. It's just a dog, he said. You never know. Joe didn't wait, though, and followed Ed out the door down the step. The dog stopped in the grass, maybe twenty yards from the cabin, and stood regarding them, its jaw slightly agape, as if smiling hesitantly. Here, boy! Ed sat on the bottom step and leaned forward, hand outstretched toward the shepherd. Joe leaned against the doorframe and, arms crossed, watched as the dog edged closer, until eventually he pressed his wet nose into Ed's palm. Ed smiled and ran his hand through the thick fur at the dog's neck. Doesn't look like a stray, Ed frowned. No collar, though. Think someone dumped him? Maybe. Ed's jaw worked with some unspoken irritation. 
Not right just abandoning a dog like this. The shepherd circled around, presenting his flank to Ed while facing Joe, who leaned down and let him sniff his hand, which was red and irritated from washing the dishes. He stroked the dog's ears for a moment before hugging his arms to himself again. The golden slanting light of sunset made the lawn look on fire, but Joe was starting to feel chilly. It was late July, and it should have been warm, even hot, but it wasn't. Ed yawned. The long commute into work had to be wearing on him, but he insisted it was fine, and besides, he loved coming home every night to the peace and quiet of the shore, which was good for Joe. In August, though, their lease would be up, and they'd have no choice but to close up and head back to their apartment in the city for the fall. The dog turned away from them at the same time Joe heard the whistle of a bird, a frantic three-note song that repeated. The dog took a step away from them, which seemed to spur something in Ed. Hey, buddy! Here, buddy! he called. The dog turned, but then the bird sang again. It was a whippoorwill. Joe read once that those birds could hear the sound of a soul departing the earth, and since then their song had left him cold. We can't keep the dog, Joe said. He must know where he's going. He's just hearing that bird. Ed leaned forward further, arms still outstretched. He shuffled off the step and moved a couple paces forward. The breeze picked up and Joe could hear the ocean clearly now, a two-note rhythm that approached and faded. Approached and faded. Why don't you go in and get something we can use to draw him back? Really? Joe asked. We can't just let him keep wandering out here at night, he said. It might not be safe. Joe couldn't imagine anything out by the shore that could pose a threat to a dog, but he went inside anyway and got some leftover chicken and put it on a saucer. When he brought it out, the dog had drifted away from Ed and was wandering across the driveway and into the grass on the other side. I told you he must know where he's going, he said. Ed snatched the saucer and began heading across the yard. Joe crossed his arms again. As Ed high-stepped through the grass, he gave a whistle and said, Here, boy, again. Joe turned and went back inside. While Joe finished the dishes, Ed led the shepherd across the yard toward the cabin. Every so often, he stopped and held out a piece of chicken to the dog, who drew closer and pulled the chicken from Ed's hands with the utmost care. Though most of the light had faded from the sky, the dog seemed to catch the remaining scraps of it, along with the glow cast from the solitary porch light above the door. Though well-groomed, the dog looked unsteady on his feet. Something pulled taut inside Joe's chest, and a sound escaped him like a bow drawing across a violin string. He felt a quick flush of embarrassment, even though no one was around to hear it. He pulled the stopper from the drain and shook his fingers. He sat down at the kitchen table while he wiped his hands on the dish towel. He was getting tired. They never talked about Joe's illness, although it dictated so much of what they did. Decisions like spending the summer in this small cabin, seeking refuge from the city, Instead, they talked about what Joe needed without addressing the why. He wondered, if they had talked about it, whether that would have made him more or less afraid. Ed managed to lure the dog inside with the last few shreds of chicken. He closed the door and the shepherd briefly glanced back toward the route of escape, but didn't seem perturbed that it was now closed off. Next, they tried cheese, which the dog turned up his nose at. Joe found some sliced ham, which he pulled apart and placed on the dish. After a cursory sniff, the dog wolfed it down. Ed knelt on the floor beside the shepherd, and looking up at Joe, smiled. How much younger he looked all of a sudden. It was like the day Ed proposed, at the airport. Joe's flight delayed and delayed and delayed. 
a missed connection, and a terminal that was deserted when Joe finally emerged from the jetway. When he got past the security checkpoint, Ed was already down on one knee, a black box in his hand, his eyes shiny with hope and, maybe, fear. Joe had burst into tears as much from exhaustion as surprise. Ed looked up at him now with those same eyes, and something in Joe came untied. Perhaps a weakened state again, though not as intense as that first time. Nothing since had ever been that intense. Of course Ed was going to ask if they could keep the dog. Joe knew that. Again, he'd say yes, as much from exhaustion as anything else. He wasn't able to say no to Ed very often, and even when he did, he lacked conviction. Although this time, he felt like he really should. Say no. What should we call him? Ed asked. Maybe we should figure out what we're going to do with him tonight before we worry about names, Joe said a little testily. Ed frowned, and instantly he regretted it, but he couldn't find the right words to apologize. Ed never asked him for much. There wasn't a lot Joe could have provided anyway. It would have been easy for Joe to reach out to Ed, to cover his hand the way Ed had done at the door, but Joe didn't. Ed only waited a second or two before retreating to the main room, which only had the pretense of separation from the kitchen. All that divided the space was a wooden crossbeam and a half wall that held a line of potted house plants. And yet Joe couldn't find a way to get up and cross the threshold. He told himself it was because he was tired. From his seat at the table he could still see Ed, who sat on the sofa his back to Joe, and flipped through the paper. In a moment he'd probably pick up his tablet and start planning for work tomorrow. Joe had expected the dog to follow Ed, but the shepherd stayed in the kitchen with him. His glance shifted between the two men, then settled on the door. He got up and trotted toward it. I think he wants to go back out, Joe said. Ed didn't turn around. So let him out. As Joe held the door open, the dog looked up at him a moment and then stared out at the darkness. Joe, who saw nothing beyond the circle of grass illuminated by the porch light, wondered what the dog saw that he didn't. Not for long, though. Without a sound, the dog hopped down the step, bounded across the yard, and leapt over the fence, clearing it with room to spare. He darted into the stand of black locust and was gone. You'll never believe this, Joe said, shutting the door. That dog just jumped the fence. Huh, Ed turned the page. Guess you were right. He must have known where he was going. Although it was ridiculous and superstitious and he knew it, Joe couldn't shake the feeling that somehow the dog would take Ed away from him. The next day, after Ed went to work, Joe lay on the couch and used his phone to look up dog legends. He found stories about chihuahuas protecting souls as they traveled through the underworld, Sharpays warding off ghosts and evil spirits, corgis carrying fairies on their backs like horses, and more Native American folktales than he could count, but nothing about German shepherds in particular. The closest was the black dog, the harbinger of death. He started reading The Hound of the Baskervilles, but gave up, disgusted with himself after a few pages. The shepherd wasn't a fable or a symbol, he was a dog, and he was back again that afternoon. The weather had turned suddenly, punishingly hot. Even with every window open, the cabin couldn't catch a breeze and felt like it was baking him. Sitting on the front stoop, Joe could at least get shade from the locust trees making a line along one side of the yard. When the sun eventually vaulted over the treetops, Joe took their picnic blanket into the yard. They hadn't gone on any picnics that summer, nor had they managed to get to the beach, which remained no more than a sound he heard while the wind was blowing in the right direction. He spread the blanket outside the fence, beneath the trees. There in the shade, cooled by the suggestion of a breeze, he fell asleep. He awoke disoriented, 
unsure of how much time had passed. He hadn't dreamed. Dreams had stayed outside the circle of his recall for months now. The sun had passed the midpoint and was beginning its descent, and the breeze at some point had picked up until it became wind. Lying beside him, on the blanket, sphinx-like, was the dog. Joe felt that he should have been startled, but wasn't. The dog, who must have sensed him stirring, glanced over briefly before returning his attention to the middle distance beyond Joe's outstretched feet. A moment later, around the same time Joe thought of reaching out to pet him, the dog let out a yawn and lumbered to his feet. After a full body shake, the shepherd turned and walked further into the woods. Rolling onto his side, Joe peered into the stand of trees and watched until the shepherd vanished from sight. It seemed as if he did vanish, not just pass beyond some tree where Joe could no longer see him. This time Joe didn't feel as if the dog had come to steal Ed away from him. Mostly he felt beyond tired now. Maybe from the heat, or the sunlight, or both. He left the blanket where it lay and stumbled, as if drunk, to the cabin. The step up to the front door almost proved too much, but he managed to catch himself, bracing with one palm flat against the siding to keep from pitching face-first into the door. After he wrenched open the screen door and made it inside, he listed from one flat surface to the next, pausing at the counter, the table, the half-wall where he almost knocked over a philodendron until he collapsed onto the sofa. He remembered nothing of the intervening time until Ed got home. Joe lurched back to awareness when Ed shook him by the shoulder and called his name, his voice coiled with panic. I've been trying to wake you up for a whole minute. Sorry. A hand touched his forehead, followed by the hiss of breath between teeth. You're so hot. Joe smiled. Tell me about my eyes next. I'm serious, hon. What happened? It's nothing. Joe dragged himself upright with Ed's help. I fell asleep outside. It's been hot. I was looking for a breeze. Ed brought him a glass of water and made him drink the whole thing, then went back to the kitchen for a refill. Sorry I didn't get dinner started. Screw that. Ed handed him the glass, and this time Joe took small, careful sips. He felt a little better, but at the same time heavy, as if gravity had increased while he slept. We should have gone back to town already, Ed said. This isn't good for you anymore. I'll be fine. I'm feeling better already. He stared at Ed's lips and tried to remember the last time Ed kissed him like he meant it. The last time he'd treated him like anything other than fragile, easy to break, though maybe he was. Despite the day's heat, Ed made soup, which they let cool until it was almost room temperature before Joe managed to get some down. Ed made him keep drinking water until Joe felt he might slosh when he got up, and when he finally did pull himself off the sofa, it was to go to the bathroom. When he emerged, Ed told him they were heading home tomorrow. We've been out here long enough, he said. We're too far away from help if we need it. But I'm better when I'm out here, Joe said. Today was just a bad day. What if tomorrow's worse? Joe wanted to say that if they went back to town, to their dreadful dark hole of an apartment, there was no way tomorrow couldn't be worse. But the concern on Ed's face was etched too deeply for Joe to hope he could wear it away. And besides, even though he was feeling better, he was still too tired to argue. He just wanted to sleep. He even forgot to tell Ed about the dog. The shepherd returned that night. Joe woke up and felt instantly alert, as if someone had said his name or brushed by him as he slept. He had a hard time sleeping through the night anyway. 
He twisted the wrong way, or, as in this case, lay on his hand or arm until it was numb, a dead thing that flapped uselessly when he tried to lift it. It didn't occur to him until something like that happened how much effort it took to hold all of himself upright, how heavy the dead weight of flesh and bone was without the body's electricity to animate it. Cradling his sleeping limb, he slipped out of bed, careful not to disturb Ed, who slept soundly and never woke up in the middle of the night. It was one of Joe's particular pleasures in their relationship, lying awake and watching Ed sleep. He shuffled into the kitchen. As he stood at the sink, drinking a glass of tepid tap water, staring out the window, he saw the silhouette of the dog against the fence. The shepherd had probably seen him first. The kitchen light was on. When they made eye contact, the dog wagged his tail. He was inside the fence. Softly, Joe opened the front door and went out onto the stoop. He held the screen door so that it wouldn't slam as it shut. Outside, the night was cooler, but not chilly, the air a little damp, salt. The dog waded toward him through the grass, and Joe, in his bare feet, descended from the stoop and met him halfway. He knelt down. Hey, buddy, he whispered. The windows were open. He didn't want to wake Ed. The dog circled him once, twice, then sat beside him so that they both looked out at the fence the woods beyond, a darker patch of black against the sky. Somewhere in the trees, the whippoorwill started to call, but the night was quiet otherwise. In between the bird's calls, it would sing once, pause for maybe a second, then start again. The dog whined, a high-pitched, back-of-the-throat keening that brought to mind the strange noise Joe had made while standing at the sink, the first time the dog had visited. He turned toward the shepherd, who fidgeted on his front paws, and, after a nervous lick to the side of Joe's face, settled his chin on Joe's shoulder. The shepherd wasn't a symbol. It was as real as anything else around them. The trees, the grass, the bird. Joe wrapped an arm around the dog and stroked his fur. There was a choice he had to make. To go back inside and slip into bed next to Ed, or to stand and follow the shepherd into the woods go in search of the bird with its plaintive three-note call. It would keep calling until they did, Joe felt, and the shepherd would wait until he made up his mind. Thank you for listening to A Story Most Queer. This week's story was Shepherd, written by Jeffrey Ricker and read by Jordan Edwards. This episode was edited by Leah Cornish. Our outro music is Round Daytime by Paratune. If you like the show, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on your podcast app of choice. It really helps others find us. You can follow us on social. We are A Story Most Queer on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you would like to submit a story, head over to astorymostqueer.mischiefmedia.com to read over our FAQs and fill out the form. You can also check out mischiefmedia.com for the other shows on our network. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week for another Story Most Queer.